someone were to ask you, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? What would you say? Most of us, to some extent, are probably seeking relationships with other people, peace with other people, physical health, earthly prosperity, comfort, joy, things like that. Sometimes we're seeking employment, sometimes education, sometimes maybe better employment than the employment that we already have. There's nothing that is inherently wrong with seeking any of those things to a point. But there's something very wrong if those are the main things that you're seeking, if those things are your life and your main aim in the world. And there are several reasons, of course, for this. Those things will not ultimately bring you happiness. If you just read Ecclesiastes, Solomon had it all and said that all was vanity and striving after the wind. Those things are not going to last. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7.31 that the present form of this world is passing away. And John says in 1 John 2.17 that the world is passing away as also are its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. And so there must be something more, there must be something better that we can seek. There must be something more worthy of our desires and affections. And indeed there is. As John has said, the one who does the will of God lives forever. And in our text for this afternoon, Colossians 3, Paul directs us in this very same way. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to look with me to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says... Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him. In glory. Now, in these verses, we have, first of all, a condition that Paul supposes concerning the people to whom he is writing. And then there is an exhortation that he gives in light of that supposition. And then he gives a reason or a grounding for that exhortation. So there's this condition that he supposes, there's an exhortation, and then he gives the reason or the, the underpinning for that exhortation. And we'll, we'll look at each of those as we go along. And this condition which Paul supposes of them is there in the opening of verse 1, where he says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, that's the condition that frames these four verses. If you have been raised up with Christ. Now, I think upon a first reading of this, we might suppose that Paul is entertaining some question. Well, maybe you have, maybe you haven't. If you have, then this. But I think that when we read this in the the broader setting of the book of Colossians, I don't think that's actually the case. Earlier up in uh, chapter 2, verses 10 to 13, he has already said, In him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands and the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through 
faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our transgressions. And so Paul is writing to these people, charitably assuming, concerning this congregation that he's never met in person, and he thinks of them as Christians, as men and women who have died with Christ, have been buried with him, and raised up with him. And he addresses them as such, as men and women born again, and he assumes that they are indeed raised with Christ. He supposes that they've died to their sins and been raised to newness of life in Christ. And this, of course, is what it means to be a Christian, to be united to Christ through faith, which we are united with him in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. And as Christ was raised from the dead, we too are raised up to walk in newness of life, to use those words of Paul from Romans chapter 6. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And therefore, Paul says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ... Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, and then he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And Christian friends, you too have been raised up if you are in Christ. You are united to him who has been raised, therefore you yourself have been raised. The very power of God that raised Christ from the dead has likewise raised you from spiritual death, the spiritual death in which you were conceived and born, and he has brought you to eternal life. And... This was all by his grace and for his glory. And in light of this, we must be forever humble, forever grateful, and continually offer ourselves to the service of God. And therefore, Paul comes to this exhortation. He makes this supposition. If you've been raised up with Christ, since you've been raised up with Christ, then he exhorts us. He says, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then verse 2, set your minds on things above not on the things that are on earth. And so we're exhorted to seek the things that are above, these heavenly things, these things where Christ is. And this word, this word seek has the idea of, of searching for something, trying to obtain it, striving for it. As one writer put it, the word seek indicates labor and effort and excludes all sluggish willingness. So if we're seeking after something, there's, there's some effort that is involved. We're supposed to be active and diligently, not simply aimlessly wandering around hoping that we might bump into those things that are above. But we're supposed to be pursuing them and pursuing them with, with purpose and spirit in our hearts. And... Not only does he say to seek the things, but verse 2, to set your minds on the things above or to set your affections, as the King James would say it. And this is both an act of the understanding and of the will. We are to turn both our thoughts toward the things above and we're to set our hearts on the things above as we pursue and seek them both. But unfortunately, sometimes... Our understanding and our hearts can be divided. We, we may understand cognitively that the things above are much, much more worthy of our effort and our labor and our striving. 
But yet, sometimes we set our hearts elsewhere, don't we? We know that we ought to desire the things above more than the things of earth, but sometimes we actually do set our hearts on the things of earth, and so our minds and our hearts can sometimes be divided. How many of us truly believe and know that the things above are better than the things of earth, but yet sometimes for practical purposes we still find ourselves hungering more for the things of earth? It's to our shame, and it is to arouse us out of such complacency that Paul gives us this exhortation to seek the things above, to set your mind, your affections on the things that are above. Now, before we go on, we, we need somewhat to define our terms. What specifically are the things that are above? Well, it is, in one sense, just what it sounds like. It is the heavenly kingdom, our eternal dwellings, where we shall be forever with the Lord. And this, indeed, is what all of God's people for all time have been seeking. And so Hebrews 11.10 tells us that this is what Abraham was looking for, the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And indeed, that writer to the Hebrews there in Hebrews 11 goes on and describes how those godly men and women of ancient times confessed that they were strangers and exiles here on earth, having made it clear that they were seeking a country of their own, a better country, a heavenly country. And therefore, God is not ashamed to be their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So this is, this is what their eyes were, were set on. They were seeking the heavenly kingdom, the heavenly city. And Paul says, likewise here, that we too are to set our minds, our hearts, on those things above and to seek those things above. It's no surprise that Jesus likewise directs us in this way when he warns us that we can't serve two masters, that he instructs us that we are to take no thought for our life, that we are to be different from the Gentiles who run around seeking what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear. But Jesus says rather, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. In other words, keep seeking the things that are above. Set your mind on things above and not on the things that are on earth. But when Paul says, set your mind on the things above, we must understand, though, that this is not limited to the eternal kingdom alone, but is also including within it those graces that, as it were, pave, pave the pathway to get there. In other words, setting your minds on the things above also includes setting your minds on the things of God here on this earth, the ways in which the Lord has directed us. As one writer expressed it, when therefore the apostle exhorts us to seek those things above, he would have us to understand that we ought not only to seek celestial pleasures, but so to live that we may at length attain them. For he who does not advance in faith, love, and holiness, he does not, by the whole course of his life, seek heaven, but hastens to hell. And so we don't want to simply think of heaven, the new heavens, the new earth, where we will be with Christ in the presence of God. We are also to focus in the here and now on how we are to live 
and walk with the Lord so as to get there. And I think that if you follow the the logic here of Colossians 3, even this chapter will bear that out to some degree. So if you look down to verse 5, after Paul has just exhorted us to seek the things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, in verse 5 he says, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed. And then as the chapter flows on, he talks to us about taking off the old self, putting on the new self. Setting our affection then on the things above means in part wreaking havoc on our sinful tendencies here on earth and seeking to clothe ourselves with the fruit of the Spirit and the graces of God which come to us through Christ. Now, no doubt you've heard of the person who is said to be so heavenly-minded that they are of no earthly good. Now, whatever else may be said for such a person, the truth of the matter is that they are not as heavenly-minded as they ought to be if they are of no earthly good. Because people that are truly heavenly-minded are going to be the people who are godly, who are kind, who are loving, who are obeying the word of God and walking in love with their fellow man. They are going to be people who do good. As such, they will be doing earthly good. And the good that they do will be able to be evident and to be seen. And why is this? It's because they've been raised from spiritual death to new life in Jesus. As Peter says in 1 Peter 4.2, so as to live their time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. And ultimately... Seeking the things above and setting our minds on them means adopting that attitude of the sons of Korah in Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2, where they said, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And longing for God, we will say, When shall I come and appear before God? And so since we have been raised up with Christ to new life, this is what we are supposed to seek. The heavenly city and this better country of which we are even citizens now. And we're supposed to be seeking the the graces that mark the pathway to heaven. And ultimately we are to be seeking God himself, counting it the greatest thing of all to know Christ and to be found in him, pressing on upward toward the mark of the call of God in Christ Jesus. Now that, that is a tall order, to set our hearts on the eternal kingdom, to set our hearts on walking with God, paving the pathway by which we will arrive at the heavenly city, and setting our hearts on God, saying, when shall I come and appear before God? That is a tall order. And I venture to say that none of us here in this room, myself included, are seeking the things above as we ought. So what do we do? Well, obviously we we seek forgiveness and we repent for where we have not sought the things above as we should. And then we should look also, as we seek to do that, look to the exhortation or the the grounding for this exhortation that Paul gives us there in verses 3 and 4. He says, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. 
This is the reason or the grounding, the underpinning for which we are to seek those things which are above. You'll notice that Paul speaks here about the past, he speaks about the present, and he speaks about the future of believers. The past is that you have died, right? We have died, we've been buried with Christ. We are not who we once were. We have died to our sins. The old self, the natural man, the old Adam is crucified. As Paul says in Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is the past. This is what has happened to us. We have died. Flesh has been crucified. How can we then devote ourselves to seeking the things of earth? And then presently, presently, our life is hidden with Christ in God. Christ is our life. He gives us eternal life. He sustains our spiritual life. And He is our life. He gives us the earthly life by which we live. He gives us the spiritual life by which we walk. And He then is to be the main subject of our lives. Our lives are to be lived for him. How does Paul say it in Galatians 2? I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's a, it's a completely new perspective. No longer is Paul the central subject of his life. Now Christ is his life, the life he lives in the flesh. He lives by faith in the Son of God. And then Paul directs us to the future, that there is a great future coming. He says, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then we also will be revealed with him in glory. In other words, as we, as we think about seeking the things that are above, we need to be looking ahead to the reward, that there is a great day coming. We will be with Christ in glory. Think of 1 Thessalonians 4. The dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. And sometimes in the mundane, day-to-day scheme of things, this seems far away and like a very remote reality from changing diapers, sweeping floors, wiping down tables, setting up chairs, all these different kinds of things that characterize our day-to-day existence. But this is the gospel truth, that we will be with Christ when he comes, and we will always be with the Lord, and it will be glorious. And so, let's look forward to it. And in the meantime, let's continue to persevere in doing good. As Paul says in Romans 2.7, seeking by it glory, honor, and immortality. We We do good, and we seek ultimately through Christ in doing good for this glory, honor, and immortality. It will be ours. Now, I don't know uh, about many of you. I know that some people dislike the holiday season. Some people like it. I, for one, like it. I enjoy the anticipation of Christmas Day and so forth. But I understand that sometimes when we have our anticipation set on certain things and have high expectations for it, when we finally get there, it can be a big letdown, right? And we think, what was I, why was I so excited and so looking forward to this. this. This really isn't that great at all. I had a friend once who said that expectation is the road to disappointment. 
And in, in earthly things, that holds true more than we wish it would. But, brothers and sisters, I want you to rest assured that you will not be disappointed if your minds and your affections are set on the things above. You won't be disappointed there. Paul says in Romans 10, 11, that the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. And so, brothers and sisters, set your minds, set your hearts on the things above. Let that, let that be the, the mainspring of your motivation in living and walking from day to day. You'll not be disappointed if you do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great promises of the future. We pray that you would strengthen our faith and, Lord, that you would help us to grasp the reality of these promises and that by faith in your word, we would be motivated to live godly lives in the here and now, that we would be heavenly-minded and of the greatest earthly good. Lord, that you would strengthen us and that you would help us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.